morning, South Fellowship. My name is Jessica Rest. I'm on staff here at South, and I'm excited to continue our series, Under the Radar, where we're exploring biblical characters who, for a lot of us, are exactly that. They're under the radar. And it's a fun series because each week we get to explore the grand narrative of the story of God and see how he interacts with each of these amazing and yet somewhat ordinary people. And I love this series because whether you're new to the Bible or you have a degree in theology, there's always more that we can learn about who God is and what scripture says. And exploring each of these stories is a really great way to do that. Today, we're exploring a story from the book of Exodus, the second book of the Bible. And if you're familiar with Exodus or if you've watched The Prince of Egypt, your first thought might be of Moses, the amazing leader who delivers his people out of slavery in Egypt. But today we're actually more interested in what happens before Moses. See, he doesn't show up until chapter two. And if we're familiar with things, we sometimes are so excited to get to what we know and action we know is coming that we might miss the story of another kind of deliverer. This is the story of two women, midwives, not usually your heroes in most stories, who stood firm in their faith and ended up being used to advance the story of God. So if you have your Bibles or your Bible app, join me in Exodus chapter one. And before we start the story, it's important to realize that there are no real standalone stories in scripture. The whole narrative of the Bible and the story of God is put together to show us who God is and how he's interacted with his people throughout history. It's like a Lego set. Each piece in the set is there for a reason and they have a purpose altogether. They're fine on their own, they can't even be useful, but they exist to build something bigger. You will always be served well and you'll understand scripture in a fuller and deeper way if you take the time to examine how a particular story or chapter or verse fits into the big narrative of God's story. And as we get to Exodus, it is important for us to understand the context of what's come before. If we don't, we might miss the stakes and suspense that's waiting for us. See, Exodus is about the Israelites and the Israelites are a people with a promise. God promised Abraham, their ancestor in Genesis 12, that his descendants would become a great nation. And then later in Genesis 15, that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. The rest of Genesis tells us how Abraham's family grows from generation to generation until eventually they end up in Egypt through his descendant, Joseph. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. He was released from slavery after he interprets a dream for the Egyptian Pharaoh about a famine that's coming. He rises through the ranks through his wisdom and God's blessing and is eventually in a position to protect not just Egypt, but his own forgiven family from the famine's devastation. And Exodus picks up expecting us to already know and remember all of this. It hops right in in verse six, saying, now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. This is great. This is God's promise being fulfilled even in a foreign land. The Israelites aren't just a family anymore. They're becoming a whole nation. And we're supposed to rejoice when we see words like numerous or multiply or increase because this is what we're supposed to be anticipating 
all the way through Genesis. Everything seems like it's going great until in verse 8, a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing came to power in Egypt. Now, it's not that this pharaoh just needs a history lesson. He's not aware of who Joseph is. He needs to be a little better informed. He's actively choosing not to care about Joseph. See, a new king means a new dynasty is stepping into place. And a new dynasty would have zero obligation to respect the policies or political figures of the old one. They want to make their own mark. And if this king doesn't respect Joseph and what Joseph has done, he's not going to respect Joseph's people. Let's look at verse 9. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, they'll join our enemies, they'll fight against us, and they'll leave the country. Pharaoh doesn't see something to rejoice in when he sees this population growth of the Israelites. He sees a military threat. So he does what's good policy in his mind, and he decides to take care of this threat. He moves to plan A, which is slavery. His hope is that by subjecting the Israelites into forced labor and one, getting them to build up Egypt at their own expense, he's going to kill off a few of them because of the harsh conditions, but they also won't have any kind of time to create another baby boom. The Israelites are subjected to horrible conditions, but Pharaoh's plan doesn't work. Verse 12 tells us that the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. God's promise can't be stopped by this plan of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh recognizes that his plan is failing, so he shifts to plan B. And for plan B, he tries to pull in some accomplices. His plan is for the Hebrew baby boys to be killed as soon as they are delivered. This would allow him not only to take out future soldiers, but eventually to wipe out any possibility of future generations. And to do that, he needs to enlist some help. So the king of Egypt calls in two Hebrew midwives, Shifra and Pua. And he commands them to, upon delivery, kill all baby boys, but let the girls live. Why the midwives? Well, this was their job and their sphere of influence to deliver the babies of their people. And in that process of delivery, they would have plenty of time to commit infanticide. And this is a horrible, horrible choice for them. Because not only are they being asked to intentionally fail at their jobs, which is insulting in and of itself, they are enslaved women living in the most powerful nation in the known world at this time, being commanded by the ruler of this nation, who you don't say no to, to commit murder and ultimately try to thwart God's plan. Let's pause here for a minute, because there are a couple things that we should notice to understand these characters better and to understand ourselves better as we look at scripture. Shifra and Pua are called by name. And Larry reminded us last week that names matter in scripture, especially if the person who is named isn't your typical hero of a narrative, like women. It would have been really easy for the author of this story to just refer to them by their title of midwife, keep going, and never say their names at all. He could have gotten a point across just fine, 
But instead, as soon as they show up in the story, he tells us who they are specifically. It's like a beacon at the very beginning, say, pay attention to these women. They are worth remembering, they're worth listening to, and they are worth honoring. The other thing we need to notice is about ourselves and our own attitudes and tensions that we can bring with us as we look at scripture. Because on the one hand, we have the idea that if we're looking at scripture, we're supposed to learn from everything that we read since all scripture is God-breathed, as 2 Timothy 3.16 says. But on the other hand, there can be a little bit of a disconnect as we read because these stories were written thousands of years ago and written in a different culture. And the characters that we're learning about are sometimes a different gender than we are, sometimes in different life circumstances. They might have different gifts than we do. And it can be really tempting to just disconnect, skim through their story, and not really take it seriously, can't it? Because their circumstances just seem so far outside of what we might ever experience. Or the way that God is using them might seem so distant from how God could ever use us. And we think that's great for them, fun story, but God's never gonna do that for me. God's never gonna show up in that way in my life. There's stories about prophets and miracles and like in this story, life and death situations, warriors. It's just too, too different. So resist that temptation to just skim through and not take these stories seriously. Maybe try slowing down. Instead of just blazing through and checking your quiet time off in the morning because you're a good Christian, enjoy the details of the story. Engage with it like you do your favorite book or movie. If you're really having trouble believing that God can use ordinary people, write that down on a post-it note, that God can use everyone and stick it in a place that you're gonna see it. Maybe pray before and after you read a passage or pray as you read through the passage and ask God to help you really engage with what's happening. And keeping in mind the different culture and context and situations is really important and it's really good to do if you're gonna read the text well. But these aren't just characters or stock ideas put down to make a point thousands of years ago. The stories in the Bible are stories of real people who actually lived, actually experienced these things. And the common threads of human desire and questions and struggle and pain and hope are threads that run through all generations throughout the centuries. There's always something we can connect with and learn from because they are people just like us. And as people, Shifra and Pua are faced with this decision to either obey the Pharaoh and escape with their lives, or disobey, attempt to save lives, and risk everything. And it's easy for us thousands of years later, with the ability to read the end of the story, to jump to what their right decision should be. You resist the unjust order, and you save lives, and spoiler alert, it all works out fine and God will bless you and everything turns out great. And we know that because we can read that in a few verses right here. But that's not actually how we make decisions, is it? We can plan, we can hope, we can dream about the future, 
but we don't have a vision of the future where we see how everything works out and then we can make our decisions accordingly. You have an idea of how your next hour is gonna go. You're probably gonna finish listening to the sermon, I hope, and you'll start a project, you'll get some lunch, you'll run an errand. You're probably making decisions around those ideas that you have, but you can't predict with 100% certainty that everything is gonna come to pass in those ways. You might get an unexpected phone call, you might get a visitor, you might be out of what you want for lunch and have to readjust your plans. We as humans don't have the luxury of foresight to shape our decisions and pick the right thing in the present. Shifra and Pua weren't given an advanced reader copy of the book of Exodus. They didn't know that if they disobey the order and try to save people, they're gonna succeed. They didn't know that in a matter of decades, their people will be freed from slavery and leave Egypt forever. All they knew was they had this decision in front of them that they had to make. So without a roadmap, without knowing how things are gonna work out, how did Shifra and Pua proceed? Well, as you take stock of the decisions in front of your life, what kind of lenses do you, do you use to make those decisions? It can be easy for Jesus followers to think that the decisions we make are good and godly and headed in the right direction. But if we're honest with ourselves, if we really take time to look at our motivations and how we're thinking and what's shaping us, we might have to be honest that sometimes we're being pushed by other lenses that we sometimes baptize later in the name of Jesus. Lenses like comfort can be really powerful. Lenses like maintaining a life that we've always known and a comfort level that we've always had can seem like really good things. Lenses like a desire for security or control can tap into some of our deepest fears. And it takes a willingness for us to be honest about how we're making those decisions. It takes a willingness to be more intentional with our decisions to resist those lenses. It takes prayer and it takes the ability and decision to let go of what seems best or most advantageous for us on paper if it's not in line with what's God's best. What seemed best for Shifra and Pua was obeying this order and carrying on with their lives. It was to do what they were told. But like us, they had a lens that guided their actions. Verse 17 tells us that the midwives feared God. And in the Pentateuch, those first five books of the Bible, fearing God usually refers to moving through life in a way that's upright and trustworthy and honest and faithful and more concerned with the way of life that God has set before you, the rules of life that God has set before you. And they're already more concerned with what God would have them do and what it means to follow God with his way and his heart before they ever have to make this decision. So when they do have to make this decision, they're more concerned with what God would have them do than any consequences that the Pharaoh could throw at them. And it's not automatic to have this lens of fearing God as we make decisions. It takes time and practice if all of a sudden you're faced with a major life decision, you're going to be making it through the lenses that you always use. 
And if the lenses that you always use are those lenses of fear or comfort or what's gonna look best on Instagram, you're going to make it with those lenses. If you're trying to make it with a lens of fearing God, but you're not used to that, it's gonna take a lot of effort to course correct. I'm not an athlete, and I really try to avoid running if at all possible, but even I know that if I wanted to run a marathon, I couldn't just get off my couch and go run it. It would take changing my diet, probably, it would take going on shorter runs and building up to longer until I have more stamina and speed and the ability to last 26.2 miles. And the same way, learning to work with the lens of fearing the Lord takes building habits. It takes practices of, of listening. It takes practices of working with those small decisions that seem really minor or insignificant until eventually you can work up to those big decisions. And that will be a more automatic thing of making that decision through that lens of fearing God and using his way with his heart. And sometimes this is easier said than done. Because Shifra and Pua were already working with this lens of fearing God, because they were already more concerned with living in the way that he would have for them, Verse 17 tells us that they made the decision to not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. And they let the boys live. One decision made firmly, but I'm sure not easily, preserves the lives of many and forwards God's kingdom in Egypt. And they kept their eyes not on their circumstances, but on God. And this is way easier said than done. It's so tempting to just see what's in front of us and so difficult to raise our eyes above, especially when those circumstances seem really overwhelming or consequences seem devastating. Or you've just been through so many things that you can't take one more and you're on autopilot. And even seasoned Jesus followers don't do this right all the time. It's not like you ever hit a point, at least on this side of eternity, where you've just arrived and you've got it all perfect and circumstances don't matter to you anymore. It's only Jesus. And there's no one practice or way of handling it that's foolproof or going to work for everyone. But there are ways that we can try to lift our eyes above what's around us as we make these decisions. Remembering God's faithfulness and promises, either in scripture or throughout your own life, looking back and seeing where God has shown up in difficult times can help. Listening to worship songs or songs of praise or even lament can lift your eyes up of just what's around you and bring them back up to Jesus. Going and seeking a friend for wise counsel and input or going to counseling or even a support group can help you shape what you're going to do next. After all, Shifra and Pua didn't just make this decision by themselves, they made it together. And God uses this one decision by two women to deliver his people in the circumstance and set them up for the next deliverance. And things go well for them, they succeed. Verse 20 tells us God was kind to the midwives and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, 
he gave them families of their own. So things turn out well. They save lives, their people are multiplying, they have families of their own. Their story is wrapped up with a nice bow here. But they didn't know that that was going to be the outcome. And visible, physical blessing isn't a guarantee of making decisions that are faithful to who God is or what his kingdom is. And we do have to be careful with this when we're reading the story of biblical characters or even listening to other people's stories of their experiences and those who have gone before us. It's not a one-to-one correlation of because God did thing X in this situation, like bless someone with a family, he's going to do the exact same thing if I just follow through in the right way. Our lives aren't a paint-by-number. Faith isn't a paint-by-number. If we just stick the right things in the right places, we get the ideal picture that we always wanted. It's more like a step-by-step journey where we know the ultimate destination, but we're not going to see the same things on the same journey as everyone else. And it might be kind of rocky along the way. Faithfulness isn't a formula that we follow to get the best results. It's the outworking of our belief that God's way is better. And we're going to pursue it, even if the outcome doesn't look like it will be the best for us. And there's one more thing that we should notice about Shifra and Pua's story. Their story ends well, it's nice and contained, but it's not actually the end of the chapter. Verse 22 tells us, Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that's born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. Their story turns out well, but their actions and decisions didn't solve their whole problem. They're still enslaved. Lives are still at risk. Pharaoh's just moved on from plan A of enslavement and plan B of infanticide to plan C of infanticide just in a different way. There's still issues. The world's not fixed. But fixing the whole situation isn't what Shifra and Pua were tasked to do. They were tasked with being faithful with the decision in front of them and their sphere of influence. And they were faithful. And God used their faithfulness and their decisions and choices and actions to deliver and protect his people and his promise. And that will lead eventually to an exodus and then to the promised land. And through the generations, it's going to lead to Jesus. Faithful decisions have a kingdom impact that reverberate throughout generations, whether we'll ever see it or not. Like Shifra and Pua, we all have the task of being faithful with the decisions in front of us. And South, we do have a lot of decisions in front of us. There are some decisions that we never thought we were going to have to make in our lifetime. And there are other decisions that we just hope we never have to make in our lifetimes. We have the decision before us of how are we going to pursue life in the middle of a pandemic that's killed over half a million people at this point. And not just how we pursue life for ourselves, but how we do so in a way that honors and protects the people around us. We have the decision of how we're going to respond to the systemic racism and injustice in our country that we can't ignore. 
we have the decision of how we're going to love our neighbor in an election year. As a church, we have a decision of how we're going to welcome our next lead pastor whenever he joins us. And then you have personal and maybe family decisions that still need to be resolved even in the midst of all the world events. What are you going to do without a job? What should you move somewhere? Is it worth reconciling a relationship with that person? I'm sure you have a decision that's already at the forefront of your mind. And these decisions can seem so pressing sometimes. And the pressure just feels like so much. And sometimes we just want to knock it out, make a decision quickly, and move on with our lives without seeking to fear God or look through his lenses. A faithful decision doesn't always seem like it's the best thing for us. And it's usually not the easiest thing for us. But as followers of Jesus, we do believe that his way is better. His way of loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, our mind, and our strength, and loving our neighbors as ourselves. And we believe that it's better not just for us personally, but for the world around us. And faithful decisions are the outworking of that belief that his way is better and we'll pursue it even if it doesn't look like it's going to benefit us. Even if we get pushback, even if it means giving up some of our old familiar lenses, or if it means saying no to things that otherwise seem good. And we do this with confidence that faithful decisions can reverberate through generations, whether we see the effects in our lifetime or not. So what about you? How are you going to pursue making faithful decisions this week? Maybe you need to re-examine some of those lenses that you usually use when you're making choices. Maybe you need to stop trying to fix the whole world and focus on the decision that's in front of you that you are being asked to make. Maybe you know what faithfulness looks like already, but you need the courage to follow through. Whatever it is, whatever's stirring in your heart right now, ask the Holy Spirit to give you clarity in what faithfulness looks like for you and to help you live in the way of Jesus as you seek to make faithful decisions this week. Father God, thank you for these women Shifra and Pua, the way they followed you, the way that they preserved your people and had eyes on your story and your way instead of on their consequences or circumstances. Thank you for the ways that we can learn from them even thousands of years later. I pray that we would be faithful in our decisions this week, that you would help us to understand and internalize what that means that we could let go of all those other lenses and pressures and see your way with your heart. Amen. Wow, thank you. Thank you so much, Jessica. Uh, one of my biggest takeaways from this, uh, she said faithful decisions have a kingdom impact that can reverberate through generations whether we see it or not. I'm gonna really chew on this this week and i'd be curious if you're watching us live what is something that you might chew on this week what's something that you're going to take away from this i i think about the faithfulness and the little decisions that have long-term impacts i'm going to be chewing on that and asking the lord to do something in my heart with that
Well, I'm Larry Boatwright. I'm the interim and executive pastor here at South. And thanks for watching with us and worshiping with us today. It's it's so good that we can come together and connect. I want to remind you, if you're new with us, our mission is helping people live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus. So this online gathering that you just attended, all the things that we get to do in our city and around the world is to help people live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus. One way you can help us out in the midst of this, in this sort of digital time that we're in, is to share. If this message was encouraging to you today, we'd love your help to spread the good news of Jesus digitally. So you can like us on Facebook, you can like this on YouTube, you can share it, you can tell your friends about it, tell them this is a place that they can hear truth, hear God's goodness, and they can they can be helped to live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus uh, digitally. I want to say thanks to those who participated in giving. Uh, it's been so helpful in this season, your consistent, generous giving. Everything we do is because uh, of your your generous and consistent giving. So please continue to do that. Thank you for doing that. If you're new and haven't jumped in yet to support God's work through South, you can do that, southfellowship.org slash give, or in our South Fellowship app. You can also do that there. Uh, a couple of heads up things I want to tell you about. One thing uh, is... We've been working as a reentry team. We've had a handful of people on a reentry team talking about what would it look like to come back onto our campus. And if you missed the Facebook video that I did earlier this week or the e-news that went out, uh, basically we have a four phase plan. The first phase is all online. The second phase is online and small groups. The third phase is online, I mean house churches. The third phase is online house churches and starting to meet in our building again, um, uh, just in the auditorium in some rooms like that. And the fourth phase is church open with full kids ministry and all of those sorts of things. So we've been working on that. And next Sunday, July 19th, we're actually gonna have gatherings in our facility, one in the student room, that's masks recommended but not required. And then for those who would feel more comfortable in an environment where everyone's wearing masks in our kids chapel, we're going to have uh, a mask only room. And the first couple of weeks is gonna be a video venue, meaning the worship and the teaching is gonna be via video, but you get to see your friends, you get to experience community together, you can talk to one another, you can see each other again and come back on our campus. And our tech team's been working really hard trying to get all the technology in place so that we can actually stream our services live, like physically from the building um, out to homes and to some other venues on our campus. And so we're working on that as well. Here's the thing, we have really limited seats. We have about 50 seats available in the student center for the masks recommended but not required. And we have 25 or so seats available in the chapel masks required. So to know how many people we're expecting, we need you to register. You can go to southfellowship.org and right on our website, there's a COVID-19 page. And right there, our, our re-entry stuff is happening. We've got a nice graphic that's on that page so you can see where we're at in the phases uh, and some information about that. And we're gonna have more information to come on how we chose those phases and all that, all that's coming in the next few days as well. So make sure to register starting right now, you can register to sign up for a spot uh, coming to on-site gatherings. Remember, they're gonna be via video for the first week or two. And then we're hoping to be all back together around the first week of August with a live band and live preaching. So make sure to register for that as well. One thing that we really um, we love is the opportunity to send missionaries around the globe. And we have about 25 missionaries or so that we support all around the region, uh, all around the world, actually. 
And we're excited because we have some brand new missionaries who are leaving, I think today or somewhere around today, uh, the Copelands. They are headed out of town. And so Pete Muckley, our GO team uh, director, and some other of our folks, some of our elders went and prayed with them. And normally we'd commission them in a service, but it's a weird time with COVID. So we decided to do the next best thing and we filmed it. And uh, I want you to take a look at this and then I'll come back and tell you one other very special thing. So take a look. This is commissioning the Copelands to Ireland. Hi, South Fellowship. I'm Pete Muckley of the Global Outreach Team. And today we are commissioning the Copelands who are heading to Galway, Ireland. And this is Chris and Joy, Gage and Gavin. And, and we're gonna be sending them to Ireland on the mission field in a couple of weeks. And so um, we just like to uh, start before we pray over them and ask a few questions. So uh, Chris, tell us where you're going and what you'll be doing. Sure, yeah, we're going to Galway, Ireland. We're gonna be working with a church, uh, Galway City Baptist Church. Uh, in fact, they've already asked me to preach on August 23rd. So <laughs> get ready for that, that'll be awesome. Uh, but we're going to be working with the church, doing leadership development, doing a compassion center for um, for young ladies who get pregnant and, and we want to give them an alternative to abortion. Uh, there's a bunch of things that we're going to be doing, so we're excited. Ireland is a place that has basically uh, turned their back on God. I mean, it went, even in the five years we've been raising support, it went from 1.5% evangelical Christian down to just a half a percent of evangelical Christians in the country. Uh, and that just results in depression and, and, and uh, suicide and alcoholism and drug abuse and all of these things that just kind of uh, roller coaster down from that. So um, so we're excited to go and just be a part of, of bringing the hope of Jesus to Ireland. Great, exciting. Well, great. I just want to read some verses. So Chris and Joy, Gage and Gavin and uh, Garrison, who is working today. But um, I just want to read these verses to you from Second Corinthians. For we are among the aroma of Christ to God, among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, it's a fragrance of death to death. To the other, a fragrance of life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we're not like so many who just peddle God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. I just read those verses because I know, you know, for some people, they're not going to like it. For others, they are going to love because you are going to bring new life to them. But you're commissioned by God. Regardless of what you face, know that he goes before you and he prepares the way. Um, I've asked Jerry uh, Suits, one of our elders, if he would lead us in prayer. And Christy, why don't you come join us and uh, at a fairly socially distanced area. Let's, let's just uh, lift up the Copelands and send them all to Ireland. All right, let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the Copelands. We thank you for their perseverance and following their, their call to ministry there in Ireland. And Father, we pray for these next couple of weeks of all the little details to take care of before they leave. And we pray for those first couple of months there in Ireland. And Father, as they adjust to a new culture, as they adjust to new neighbors, Father, that you would give them opportunity to grow not only in their own spiritual walk, but to invite others in that walk as well. And Father, so we just put them into your hands, and we're excited about them going to Ireland to work to carry out your word, carry out your ministry, and see the Holy Spirit work in the lives of Irish. In your name, amen. Amen. Hey, everybody, let's be praying for the Copelands as they go. Thank you. Oh, and thank you, Sal, for your for your partnership. We're just so excited that uh, that we can work together. Just wanted to make sure we said that too. <laughs> okay.
All right, that is so exciting. And you know why we're able to do that again? I just wanna say thanks for giving. You're giving a huge portion of our, our funds go toward um, supporting missionaries. And so that's awesome. Thank you and God bless you, Copelands. One last thing, um, you know, we've been searching for a lead pastor for months and months and months. And uh, in that time, uh, God has been faithful and God's been moving and working. And we've had people asking, well, when are we getting a new lead pastor? Well, I'm really excited to tell you a very exciting update about that lead pastor. Hang on. What's that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Sorry. That's not this week. I want you to know that next Sunday, sorry to trick you, July 19th, we have a very important announcement. I repeat, July 19th, don't miss. We have a very important announcement about our lead pastor search. You're not gonna want to miss it because it's very significant. Uh, updates, the most significant update in this journey. Believe me, hint, hint, don't, don't miss next week. And I wanna give you a little hint. I will hopefully soon, uh, we'll see what I announce to you next week and elders announced to you. We'll scratch the interim off of my title and just go back to being the executive pastor. We'll see what God has done or is doing. So that's all I can say. Lips are sealed. Come back next week. Very important announcement. Appreciate you coming. If you're watching live, you want to jump in with our Zoom room. We just have some folks to get together and online talk, hang out, uh, talk about the text today, the scriptures, and pray over one another and have community. So you can do that. If you're watching live, that's info is in the chat both on, uh, on Church Online and YouTube. Love you guys. Have a great week.